Welcome to the Lawyerist Podcast with Sam Glover and Aaron Street. Each week, Lawyerist brings you advice and interviews to help you build a more successful law practice in today's challenging and constantly changing legal market. And now, here are Sam and Aaron. Hi, I'm Sam Glover. And I'm Aaron Street, and this is episode 167 of the Lawyerist Podcast, part of the Legal Talk Network. Today, we're talking with Lori Gonzalez about four concrete steps you can take today to improve your firm. Today's podcast is brought to you by LawPay, Spotlight Branding, and New Law Business Model. We appreciate their support, and we will tell you more about them later in the show. Last week, I mentioned that we will be accepting applications to our new Lawyerist Lab program for the first three weeks of April, which means there are just a few days left for you to get an application in if you are interested in working with us for the coming year to improve your firm. We're taking just a few more signups, and if you're interested and want to be considered, we would love to hear from you. You can submit your application at lawyerist.com lab, and we will follow up with you. Great. We hope to see your application. Now, here's my conversation with Lori, but first, a sponsored interview with Sandra Lewis of Worldwide 101 about working effectively with a virtual assistant. I'm Sandra. I'm the founder and CEO of Worldwide 101. And Worldwide 101 is a premium virtual assistant company. And in a nutshell, we help business owners free up their time with highly skilled and personalized remote support. Uh, we do things like executive assistance, back office admin, marketing, blog writing, project management, bookkeeping, and a whole lot more. Hi, Sandra. Thanks for being with us today. So I'm curious, when you think about people who are working with a virtual assistant, especially for the first time, what are some of the keys to doing that that they may not be aware of? Yeah, so one of the things that we always recommend to clients who who work with our team is to over-communicate. When the person is not in the office with you and you can't see them, it's really, really important to check assumptions. So, you know, you're sending an email, it's out in the ether, you assume that the person has understood what you're asking them to do. But they haven't. So we usually say, you know, triple check, over communicate, double check that the person has really understood what you've asked them, perhaps ask them to reply and explain in their own words what they've understood the task is. So over communicating is is really big to create successful partnerships between virtual assistants, virtual professionals and clients in general. You know, one of the things that I remember reading in, I think GitHub had a guideline for remote communication. Mm -hmm. And they said, um, also, along those same lines, overcompensate for tone. Right. Um, A very brief message with a period at the end sounds like you're angry, even if you don't mean it to be. And so you have to kind of over-explain the tone that you're trying to convey. And that's something that I think people need to get used to as well. Absolutely. So when it comes to that communication, are there some tools that you recommend to make that communication more effective or effortless? You know, I mean, it really depends what works for you. I mean, for our team and our clients, we usually give the option to the client on how they best like to communicate. Some people love to just send a text or or make a quick phone call. Uh, Other people are more into uh, Slack or Skype so that they can, you know, online and on the go. Video chats is a really great one as well. Obviously, you know, that's more for formal meetings, but video is really, really helpful. And we usually suggest that people do that, you know, once a week. 
It doesn't have to be long, but a 10-minute kind of face-to-face, how's everything going? And it goes with the point that you just said earlier, right? I'm sending you quick communications throughout the week. I'm over-communicating. I'm checking assumptions. And then once a week, I'm seeing you, and I'm just checking that, you know, we're good. You don't have any questions. We're still smiling at each other. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. So so there's a whole bunch of tools these days to to aid in, in over-communicating. <laughs> and I suppose in the end, email is fine if that's what people are comfortable with, huh? Absolutely. But it's a good idea to back it up. Well, a lot of our clients find that um, their inbox get very clogged up. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's kind of the last resort, the email. In fact, a lot of our team end up having to, you know, um, manage inboxes on behalf of our clients. I was going to (laughs) say, maybe the first VA you hire is somebody to manage your inbox. (laughs) Exactly. So usually emails is not that often because people try to find other ways to just get stuff done a little bit quicker than, you know, having to send emails, getting replies and back and forth. So it it strikes me that another really key thing here is feedback. Mm -hmm. And I know that there's a bit of a generational thing here too. But so I'm wondering what what advice do you give on giving feedback? How much, how to give it, how often, um, those kinds of things? Yeah, very often. Hmm. Again, again, you know, over communicate includes how is the person doing? Are they meeting your expectations? If not, you know, what what can change the sooner the better in terms of giving feedback and and checking those assumptions like you know a lot of people are sure that they're very very clear but you know again you're not in the same office so it's not as easy as popping your head around the corner and saying did you mean this <laughs> so if you see right away that you know the the message is not quite getting through or the inboxes is not quite getting done the way that you had thought that you had asked it to get done then right away, you know, give that feedback. And feedback, it's funny, feedback has sometimes, you know, negative connotations. Mm -hmm. We see it as something very positive. Tell me how I'm doing, Mm -hmm. you know, so I can do better, so I can succeed. That's usually what professionals want, right? They want to know how they can do better at their job. So if you're interested in learning more about working with a virtual assistant, and in particular, selecting a virtual assistant company, Worldwide 101 has an ebook on selecting a virtual assistant company that you'll be able to find at worldwide101.com slash lawyerist. Go ahead and get it there. Thanks, Sandra. Thanks so much. Hi, good morning, Sam. It's Lori Gonzalez with the Rainy Corp. And I am the co-founder of the Rainy Corporation. And what we do is lots of boring admin work for lawyers. <laughs> Say more about that. <laughs> <laughs> we we handle all of those tasks that lawyers hate doing. Things like legal billing and medical record retrieval. But we also do efficiency and productivity assessments and helping you get all your lovely programs set up and working the way they promised, all the boring admin stuff. That's awesome. And at the moment, you are bravely risking tornado threats to be on the podcast. Yes, you are definitely worth a tornado threat. (laughs) Maybe not an actual tornado, though. I'm gone if that happens. So today we have decided we are going to try and give people, I think, four concrete things that you can do to make your law practice more efficient. Um, Are these the kinds of things that you wish lawyers would do before they came to you? Or if they do them, then they might not need to hire you for a couple more weeks. A combination. I I think all of these things are little pieces and there's always another piece to fill. So we would love for all of our friends to do these all the time. And I think there's always more to be done. So we never stop learning at Rainicorp. And I think that's the hard part when you're 
working full time in a law office is actually finding the time and energy to look and see what's new, what's next, what needs to happen. Well, and the other piece of that, I suppose, which is really worth pointing out is when you're busy serving clients, it's really hard. And we see this again and again and again. It is so hard to convince people that they need to stop and focus on the nuts and bolts of their business as opposed to doing client work. That is absolutely right. For us, I joke all the time. I work with a group that does small business mentoring and they always ask the entrepreneurs, do you want to bake cakes or do you want to run a bakery? Mm-hmm. And so for lawyers, it's not quite that simple. It doesn't feel like you can be a lawyer and run a law firm at the same time. So when you're trying to do that, you're, you're never going to get a hundred percent, um, running a law firm in a way that's, that also lets you be a lawyer. So it's, it's a hard balance. I don't know the answer to that for sure. But you have to find you, the answer can't be, I'm not doing any of it. So, or that I don't run a business. I run a law firm. That's never the answer. Let's try and hit some low hanging fruit today. Yes. So if you were talking to a lawyer and they were just like, look, I don't have the energy to like learn everything I need to know. Just what's something I can do today to make a difference in my practice? And that's what we're going to try and hit. So what's the biggest one for you? Well, step one and always the necessary step constantly is actually documenting your various processes and procedures. This is not something that most law firms do. Uh, and it is a place where you can very quickly start to identify where all of your admin time is going. So if you're not documenting it and seeing how much time and energy it's actually taking, it's hard for you to decide what you need next. So I can hear all of the solos <laughs> hanging up this podcast or yes. just sort of mentally protesting. It's just me. Why do I need to document anything? I know how I do things. I don't buy that, but I, I understand that that is often a reaction that we get. But what's your best argument for even solos ought to document things? So I started Raina five years ago and I had a co-founder, but she didn't work in the day to day. And five years ago, it was just me. It's no longer just me. And sometimes we are better off than some of our clients. So if I'm getting paid to do your boring admin work and it's worked for my business, it definitely is going to improve your law firm. That's the best argument I got. I mean, it's pretty hard to even conceive of farming out a part of your work until you know how you do it and have documented it, right? Like if you decide you're going to have somebody else answering your phones, but you don't actually have a process for doing it, how are you going to teach them how to do it? And that's exactly it. I think the other side is um, most of the time I hear solos saying, well, I'll get that thing done when I hire someone to do it. Mm -hmm. And that new person is often not well paid on the front end, not very experienced, and certainly not experienced in management. So you've got that person suddenly trying to build your procedures for you with, with very little understanding of what the law firm should be overall. So I think that doing it on the front end helps you one grow much faster when it is time to bring that person on. You have written instructions that make it much easier for them to do their job. Cause if you have never hired someone new, there is nothing time saving about training a new person. Uh, for several weeks, if not months. So for here's what we do at Lawyerist. Every Monday afternoon, uh, we take an hour for either training, uh, meaning somebody at our company teaches everybody else at our company how we do things, or in alternating weeks, we update our operations manual. So we take an hour every Monday afternoon to do that, and that's everybody on the team gets together and checks over their procedures manuals, sees what they are responsible for, 
corrects anything that's out of date, proposes changes. And that is how we are meeting that item on our, I mean, we use our own small firm scorecard for our company now. Yes. Um, and before that, we used the EOS traction scorecard. And that's how we are getting through that. But man, it's it's been awesome because as you document things, you start noticing inefficiencies. You start finding problems. You start realizing that you can automate steps. It's a huge thing, actually. Yeah, it's I, I love that idea. And we... Similarly, we take the approach of once a month, we do training, um, but we all sit in a room and actually we usually choose a client and every single person in our company has to walk through the written procedures and show where they would change something or maybe uh, it helps us see where those written procedures may not be as clear, especially as new people come in. So we manage to update those. Uh, very regularly and get everybody's input because we all click things here or know this shortcut there. So actually doing it in front of each other makes a huge impact on helping us revise those. So I love what you guys do. You know, one of the other things that we've done that I think has given us some clarity on on those systems and procedures is once a week, once a quarter, once a month, it depends on the thing, we do an Agile retrospective. And Agile is a project management system that if people know about it, you don't need to know anything about Agile to do this. What we do is we check in on each of the workflows we're doing, or you might check in on each of your clients and you ask yourself three questions. What is something that's working well that we should keep doing? What is something that didn't work well that we should stop doing? And what's something new that we should try? And the thing is, if you don't have documented systems and procedures, it's really hard to answer those questions because what are we doing well isn't meaningful if you don't know what you're doing in a consistent way. Yes. Right. What are we doing? Well, well, I don't know. You know, Joe's doing one thing. Jane's doing another thing. And and we have an independent contractor who nobody understands what they're doing. You can't answer that question in a meaningful way. That's absolutely right. And I I mean, obviously, you're speaking my language there. (laughs) And and I'm going to encourage because I know that we have still been tuned out by at least half of the solos at this point. (laughs) Just know that even if you don't manage to do it yourself, that certainly can be something you push off to a staff member, provided that you let them build the procedure and then you go back over it with them. Mm -hmm. So I have also suggested that along the way, because I know how hard it is. I did it for a long time on my own. And, and I can say from many years of training others to be helpful in a law firm, uh, without those written procedures, that process is just twice as long. So I love this agile. I'll be checking that out too. Yeah, it's cool. So um, so we talked about documenting procedures and systems. What's your second low-hanging fruit? Well, let's be real first. Like that's not something that you can just do today. Right. What you can do is you can set aside time to make sure that you do this going forward. Block it off on your calendar and and give yourself at least an hour every week to work on systems and procedures. All right. Yes. So that said, give us another one. So my second one is one most lawyers don't think about very often, and that's actually mailing, mailing of documents. When uh, you said kill... this to me before the podcast, I was like, what are you even talking about? <laughs> well, we, we kill a lot of trees in the legal field. And so I mentioned we do medical record retrieval. We mail out physical requests for medical records. Hmm. And there's no way we could make money doing that if we did it slow and inefficient. So one of my favorite programs and something we have used since before it was really available to the legal field is a, it's a program called case mail, Hmm. all one word. And essentially it is a mailing portal, but it does for physical mailing what e-faxing did for faxing. 
so you upload your documents, uh, they will physically print them out and mail them for you. And I always hear this question coming up, is it secure, number one, and, you know, how's that going to work in terms of certificate of service and proof of service and all that good stuff? So they're actually approved by the federal AOC as an approved bankruptcy notice provider. You're all good to go on that side of things. Um, They actually integrate and work with the United States Post Office. uh, And what happens is you upload your documents in Word or PDF, whichever version you prefer, and then you can send the same notice to multiple addresses simply by adding in those multiple addresses. Uh, You can send the same documents at different times, and so it's all saved and stored and it integrates with Clio if you're a Clio user and will automatically bill your postage over to your matters in Clio. Very cool. That's a good tip. We'll, we'll throw any of the links we mentioned in the show notes here. Uh, we've covered systems and procedures. We've covered uh, how, to, how to do mailing easier, which is a yeah. great tip. That's totally not the thing that I would have expected. Now we're going to take a quick two, three minute break to hear from our sponsors. And when we come back, we're going to hit up the next one. Did you know that attorneys who accept online payments get paid 39% faster on average than those using traditional payment methods? With LawPay, the only payment solution offered through the ABA Advantage program, you can accept client payments online, via email, or in person. No equipment needed. Visit lawpay.com lawyerist to sign up and get your first three months free. Trust the only payment solution developed for attorneys and recommended by 47 state bars. LawPay. The legal environment is more competitive than ever, and small law firms are feeling the pinch. With over 1.3 million attorneys in the United States and counting, it can be hard to stand out from the crowd. That's why Spotlight Branding helps lawyers become unforgettable. Spotlight Branding is a different kind of internet marketing company. They don't put their clients on the SEO hamster wheel. They don't ask them to burn thousands of dollars on speculative pay-per-click advertising. Instead, they're focused on the fundamentals of legal marketing that have worked for centuries. They use the internet to build a premium brand for solo and small firm lawyers. They put systems in place to create top-of-mind awareness, allowing their clients to maximize referrals and repeat business. It's the smart way to grow your law firm. Learn more at spotlightbranding.com lawyerist. If you've ever considered doing estate planning but think it's too dry and boring or have been afraid it might not earn you what you need because you have to compete against LegalZoom or the dreaded $1,500 estate plans, check out the website estateplanningrules.com to get a free guide that lays out step-by-step how some lawyers are regularly commanding average fees of four dollars to $5,000 per estate plan, and you'll discover why regular, everyday people are happy to pay well for estate planning services that you'll love to provide. That's estateplanningrules.com, brought to you by New Law Business Model, where you get to love being a lawyer again. Okay, we're back. So, Lori, give us another one. What's another low-hanging fruit? So, this one is one you'll hear a lot about from the security side, uh, a password saver. Um, Our favorite is 1Password, although we feel just as equally warm and fuzzy about LastPass. And for for people wondering, we use Dashlane, which is another one. Dashlane. And I actually, it's been a while, so you and I need to talk afterwards. Do you have a (laughs) team option? That is why we use it. Yeah. Okay, great. No, we use it because we define teams and share passwords into those teams. And it 
works really well. And I think that's important. Whatever you're going to look at in a law firm, making sure you have a team option. So as you add, and more importantly, because I do know what turnover looks like in a law firm, mm-hmm. as you delete individuals from your law firms, I shouldn't say delete. I don't, I don't get that deleted. <laughs> that's um, that's the tech version of it. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes we want them deleted. Making sure you know, on the security side, but for us, it's actually an efficiency tool. Mm -hmm. We spend the time to add not just our usernames and our passwords, but also to add in the websites and all of those things. So now when we need to go somewhere and do something, we just do a quick search in our one password app and we can click on that one item and everything is filled out. So we save keystrokes simply by not having to type in websites and usernames and passwords. All that's filled in automatically. Well, and not even just keystrokes, but let's you bring somebody new onto the team and you ask them to do something and they come back to you and ask for the password. That just slows things down, especially when you have, whether it's new people or new tasks for an old person, it, it just is a, a monkey wrench in the works. And when you're someone like us who has access not only to our own username and passwords, but don't be shocked by this, sometimes times our clients share their usernames and passwords with us uh, for some of these programs. Yeah, of course. Uh, We've got to have access to all of those. And so I'm the person who keeps it real because I worked in law firms for a long time, small solo law firms. And um, if you have, listen up guys, I know some of you have this. I know most of you have this. In fact, this is the first thing I come look for when you invite me into your office. I need you to get rid of that handwritten list of passwords that you keep next to your desk or in that (laughs) secret drawer that's not really secret or better yet on your assistant's notepad by her desk. Okay, I'm going to push back a little bit on that because Bruce Schneier, who is is the guy on computer security, says keeping your passwords written down in a notebook is totally fine. That I would agree with that 100% provided... I couldn't find it within five minutes of coming to your office. So, well, I think his logic is that I think his logic is that people who are trying to break into your computer are doing it over the internet, not while sitting in front of your computer, which is mostly true. Definitely not going to disagree with the security experts. I'm just the person who has found every password of every lawyer I've ever worked (laughs) with, and they never change them. So, I can probably still get into most of their systems because I have a great memory. Well, and I think the important piece of that is that if it's written down, you can't easily share it. It's just not a very useful way to manage your passwords. That's exactly right. And I will say in the process of coming into new firms to help them with with next steps, whatever those were, finding passwords to the various programs just for me took the lawyer 20 minutes. Um, And that happens over and over and over again. So From the efficiency productivity side, actually having those passwords only written down and in a place where you have to hunt them down and goodness forbid you're in a tornado process Mm -hmm. and (laughs) hunker down at home like I am today, uh, that makes it much easier to to share that with the rest of your staff. All right. So we've got um, document your systems, which is less of a, you know, a a small tip, but more of a something that you just need to get on. So get started on that. Mm -hmm. Mailing more efficiently. A password manager, both for security reasons, um, for efficiency reasons, for sharing with staff and teams and outside counsel, contractors if you need to, but also making sure you can find websites. What's the last one? 
so for the last one, I'm, I hate email. Email is the death of all of us. I know we all have to use it. I'm involved, not just in the business side and with lots of clients, but I have a couple of volunteer groups with lots of volunteers. And so for me, Slack has become my go-to communication tool for just about everything. And we're going to use Slack as sort of a proxy or a stand in here, but there are a lot of other business chat applications. Now there's campfire, there's hip chat. Uh, Microsoft has one as part of office 365 that I can't remember the name of right now. I think it's Yammer. Uh, well, there's Yammer is the old one, but the new one is like new one, yeah. something else. I can't remember. Then Google has a new one, Google Hangouts chat or something like that. That's a business chat application within the Google suite. So there's actually a ton of options for this right now. Um, and I don't think the reason that it's useful depends on which one you use. So we're just going to use Slack and read, you know, interpret that however you want. I think that's absolutely right. And I definitely suggest trying them out. Uh, certainly the, the Office 365 gurus will tell you that they have a great option there. And, and Google is Google. So Google always has something. Uh, we've loved Slack because it's free and integrates with several of the things we're using as well. So for myself, first of all, from this side of just coordinating with staff and the, my other co-founder who were rarely in the same place at the same time, we could not survive without Slack. Actually being able to respond to those really important messages from our staff on our phones, on our iPads, on our whatever we're using, our laptops, without having to go through a bunch of emails. Uh, that has been fantastic, but it's also brought us really closer together as a team. And I'll share from my clients perspectives. It actually makes me a better vendor for them. I'm able to respond to questions much faster in a tool like Slack than I would be in an email because when I'm out of town, like most of us, I do as little as I can with email, but Slack is just an easy conversation. So it's like a text message pretty easy to respond to. I love Slack. We use it at Lawyerist. Um, and, and it is really key to our ability to work together as a remote team. Mm -hmm. You know, we have people in Atlanta, we have people in North Dakota, we have people in Minnesota, we've got people in California and Phoenix. So like we couldn't, we couldn't work together as effectively over email. Slack allows us to effectively poke our head into somebody's office and have a quick conversation about things. Here's where we have a lot of trouble with it. And I still don't think we have a great solution and I'd be curious as to what you think about this. Let's say I'm on the bus on the way home and uh, Aaron asks me to do something in Slack. I need to remember to do that later. It's not a thing I yeah. can do right now. And Slack is, it has a function where you can create a to-do list in it, but it's actually terrible for managing to-dos yeah. and things like that. <laughs> and so I'm wondering, you know, it, it has, we don't use email. I mean, I get, I get a really small amount of email a day and I'm really efficient at processing that. Um, Slack is 95% of my business conversations, but that is the thing where I, you know, I have my own solution, but I, I think that is the thing where Slack causes trouble for people because there's not a clear way to do that. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, so my workarounds, just my own personal workarounds, I have two versions of it. I stop and make sure I add myself a reminder, usually, especially if I'm traveling on my phone, just to remind myself to add it to a much better to-do list somewhere else later on. Mm -hmm. Or um, my other sort of cheat, if I don't really have time to do that, is just to keep that one message unread, which yeah. it depends on your ADD-ness. I cannot <laughs> handle the little numbers on my phone. So if, right. if you That's are what not I do one do. of those people, <laughs> yeah, you know, that won't work for you. But um, for those of us that 
tend to be a little, we'll just call it retentive. Um, <laughs> first word, that's my workaround. But now you have me curious. I'll be looking for some answers to that. Well, I'll tell you my hack. So th this is what I do. First of all, I do like the ability to snooze those messages in Slack. Mm -hmm. So um, remind me next week is my favorite one. Um, you know, if something comes in over the weekend, I just ask Slack to remind me about it next week. The problem is once that initial reminder comes in, I find that it's easy to lose the list of things that I've asked it to remind me of if I don't act on them all right away. Yes. And it doesn't do a great job of when the Slack bot reminds me of the five things I've snoozed, I have to remember to go back to Slack bot, which is no longer appearing as unread. Yes. So that's not great. So my better solution is um, I have a zap using Zapier, mm -hmm. Z-A-P-I-E-R.com, that anytime I star a message in Slack, it automatically copies that message over and drops it in my Evernote inbox. Oh, that's a great idea. Which is something that I pay attention to regularly. You could do the same thing to automatically create a task for you in Clio so that you won't lose it or to um, automatically drop a card in Trello. Um, anything right. that integrates with Zapier, you can, you can, when you star a message, it will do something with it. And I think that's probably the best way to not lose things. I think that's a great idea. Obviously, Zapier has tons of options for workarounds on those kind of things. I am always looking for the cutting that piece out when you can. Mm -hmm. So, but it's a perfect tool in the in between. So thanks for making me smarter today, Sam. <laughs> Anytime. <laughs> I, I mean, it, it's just a problem we've run into enough times and email is actually, I think the other way to do it is just as a business practice, tell people if you're asking somebody to do a task, it is your responsibility to ask them in an email. Because an email is the kind of thing that can sit and be a to-do or a reminder when you get back from things, if you're good at managing your inbox, which not everyone right. is, but we are, almost all of us are good at inbox zero. And so for us, sending an email as opposed to asking somebody to do a task in Trello or in, in Slack is actually a, a better way to do it. So that's also something to think about. And I've also been very, um, it is very normal for me to send myself a create a draft message, mm -hmm. email message to myself while I'm out of town or know that I'm not going to be available, you know, to, to set up tasks and those kind of things. And just as I read messages and things of that nature, create my own little email draft in on my phone and then send it when I'm done. Uh, and that's my other sort of trick for tracking Slack messages that need more work than, than I can really do in that moment. Yeah. Um, cause I think, I think that's the, the, potential downside of Slack is if you're not careful, it will become even more intrusive than email in your life. <laughs> it does. I think, I think you have to decide how you're going to use it. Uh, I mm -hmm. shared That's that I'm, I mean. yeah. I'm using it with a couple of volunteer organizations. Um, I introduced it to a group of SCORE volunteers and SCORE is mostly retired corporate executives. And so I won't comment on what that demographic is. I'm sure you can figure that part out. Uh, and introducing any new technology to the group is very slow and tedious and difficult. Um, but after about six months, we have all kinds of guys who are still trying to figure out how that iPhone thing works and where the cloud is working in Slack really efficiently um, awesome. as a group. So I think the trick is making sure if you're going to use Slack in that way. So Slack is my, my preferred method of communication for most things. It becomes similar to your email. It's something you do have to check and, and look at. And there's also some great settings. So just spend a few yeah. minutes to get to know Slack. Make sure I always have all of the 
unread messages rolled into an unread thread, which helps me keep up and catch up quickly on, on some of those that I'm just trying to catch up and don't really have a ton of work to do. So for instance, like those volunteer groups. I think um, managing your notification settings is just always something that we keep returning to as I'm frustrated by a thing. It actually turns out to be more of a frustration around I'm either getting notified too much or I'm not getting notified enough or I'm not getting notified of the things I need to be notified of. And so often that is where it gets to. So turn on do not disturb so that you don't get your Slack messages in the (laughs) evening and process them in the morning instead. Um, make sure that your project management software is forwarding things to your email so that you see those notifications. Um, That's the kind of stuff that I think it's worth paying a little bit of attention to every once in a while and just sort of keying in that if you're frustrated, that might be the reason why. And Sam, I would actually take that a step further and say in terms of low-hanging fruit for efficiency and productivity, we believe wholeheartedly and 100% that most of the problems with efficiency and productivity in law firms are just a simple issue of not being aware of what you have, what it can do, and actually customizing it. So that same thing you just said about Slack, I feel is ditto for your your password manager, your case management system, your email, everything that you have. If you spend just a little time getting to know that system and really set it up for your use, I think it saves you tons of time and energy and frustration in the long run. I think that is spot on and a great place to end. So Lori, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much, Sam. Have a great day. Make sure to catch next week's episode of The Lawyerist Podcast by subscribing to the show in your favorite podcast app. And please leave a rating to help other people find our show. You can find the notes for today's episode on lawyerist.com slash podcast. The Lawyerist Podcast is produced with help from Lindsay Calhoun and edited by Paul Fisher. The views expressed by the participants are their own and are not endorsed by Legal Talk Network. Nothing said in this podcast is legal advice for you. Oh, 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 o